HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I spend my weekends in the garden, getting dirt under my nails, pulling weeds. Uh, Well, sometimes I don't pull them, because what are they really? And then I get a little obsessive about what to pull, what to leave in. Are they a weed? Are they wild herbs? Are herbs weeds? And how long have they been in existence? And could I use them somehow? Well, my guest today is just the person to ask these questions and so much more. Next on A Taste of the Past. Welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. And today, my guest is the herbalist and food writer, Gary Allen, or Dr. Culpepper himself. Gary Allen, who was once an illustrator... Now, like so many foodies, cooks, eats, and dreams, and talks, and writes about food. He has written a new book called The Global History of Herbs, and actually this follows a a wonderful book that he wrote earlier called The Herbalist in the Kitchen. Gary has written articles for the Encyclopedia, the American, the the Oxford Encyclopedia of Food and Drink in America, and the Concise Oxford Encyclopedia of Food and Drink in America. He's written articles and um, entries for many different journals and encyclopedias. And I welcome Gary today to answer all my questions about obsessive gardening and so much more. Gary, how are you? Welcome. Hi, Linda. Uh, you, it, it is a half an hour. <laughs> so I don't know if we can get all my questions answered, but you wrote um, in your most recent book that herbs have been with us since before we had agriculture. Okay, so my first question is what exactly are herbs? Ah, uh, always a difficult question. You start with the hard, hard ones right away. Yeah, well. <laughs> well, botanically, herbs. Um, have a specific definition, and spices do not. Um, what it really boils down to is herbs are the parts of plants that we use in the kitchen that are leaves, stems, and flowers. Usually roots, bark, and, and things like that are spices, but the main difference is that herbs are the things that we can grow in our own gardens in temperate areas, 
and spices mostly are imported from tropical areas. Mm-hmm. Hence the uh, importance of the spice route, and we've done Absolutely. so much. Yeah. Um, tell me, uh, what are the differences between weeds and herbs? <laughs> Basically, <laughs> a weed is anything that's growing where you don't want it to be growing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, a, a plant, you know, for instance... Um, um, good example. Uh, thyme. Thyme will spread around here. Um, it'll it'll survive over the winter. Um, it's very useful as an herb. Um, if it overpowers your other plants in the garden, uh, like mint would do, uh, then you start thinking about it as a weed. Mm-hmm. I have several of those: mint, oregano, uh, thyme, <laughs> purslane. Right. They attack the garden, and I and then I get concerned about pulling them out because I say, oh, but this is good, except it's not good when it starts to kill the cultivated plant that you've spent so much time and money growing. So yeah, that, that is a problem. Well, tell me, um, herbs, we've known the uses for herbs, both medicinal and, and culinary, for centuries. What are, what are some of the earliest um, records that we have of, of herbs and their uses? The earliest, well, the earliest formal cookbook was Apicius, mm-hmm. which was 4th century Rome. However, recently, in the last few years, they've been translating cuneiform tablets from, um, from Mesopotamia, and there's plenty of herbs mentioned there. So this is going back 4,000 years. Wow. Mm-hmm. And were they mentioning them mostly in um, medicinal terms or culinary terms? Well, the only ones that I've been able to read um, that were translated a couple of years ago were all culinary. But, you know, that might have been just because that was the, uh, the, uh, the bias of the person doing the translating. Mm-hmm. There's lots of others. Yeah. Well, when you were um, saying that herbs differ from spices in that we use the leaves and, and uh, the, the soft stems, and spices generally have barky, tough stems, and we use the seeds and the, and the roots as well. You mentioned um, in the book a few that surprised me, and I'm sure there are many more, such as cinnamon and papaya. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, cinnamon is a really interesting thing because we use only the bark nowadays, but Back in Roman times, they used all the leaves, you know, stems. Uh, they, they called it malabathrum. But um, you know, all parts of the plant have the flavors in it. Mm. And papaya? I mean, I, I know we use papaya seeds uh, for different culinary purposes and, and like, tenderizing meat and, uh, and breath fresheners. But, yeah. uh, but you... Well, you, have a nice peppery quality. Yeah, but you said the leaves were also used at one time. I don't know if they still are, but but um, were. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well, avocado leaves also are used as as wrappers, and they have a faint um, minty flavor. Hmm. And I, and in that I like that. I mean, of course, banana leaves. We know we use we wrap um, <laughs> foods and steam them in banana leaves, right? So these can all be considered herbs as well. Correct. Well, there's, you know, there's several different characters' um, uses for herbs. You know, we use them for seasoning. We use them as wrappers. We use them as teas. I'm just talking about culinary uses. Mm-hmm. Medical is a whole other world. Um, 
Uh, we use them as pot herbs. We use them as salad herbs. Now, when you say pot herbs, this means we stew them. We, we put them in a soup or a, or stew to right. flavor things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Long cooked. <laughs> <laughs> right. Long cooked because you wouldn't be able to chew them otherwise, right? Usually uh, not. Cert, you know, there are... And, um, I know that there are records, and you have written about them, about some of the, uh, say, er, not heirloom, ancient herbs, some of which have become extinct, or at least mm-hmm. fallen so out of favor that they weren't planted anymore, and we don't have them anymore. Uh, what are some of these more obscure ones, or even uh, perhaps extinct? Well, um, one that we know for sure is extinct. It was uh, used in ancient Rome all the time. Um, they call, called it silphium. Um, it was apparently the very last plant captured, you know, found in the wild, uh, was eaten by Nero. <laughs> After that, they had to substitute something else, and, and that something else is uh, asafetida, mm-hmm. which is... We use that in Indian cooking a lot today. Right? Indian cooking, it has a really horrible smell. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called uh, one of the common name for it is devil's dreck or, uh, well, you can guess. <laughs> it's, 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 it's disgusting smelling. But once it's cooked, that horrible smell goes away and it has, it adds like a garlic-like savoriness to dishes. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Well, you, you mentioned smells. And of course, we said that herbs have a, a Culinary purposes and medicinal purposes, tinctures, balms, salves, uh, you know, also a little hocus-pocus. But, <laughs> but smells, um, herbs were very, very important, particularly, let's say, the medieval and ancient days uh, to mask smells, correct? Yeah. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about that? Yeah, certainly. Before, uh, before we had air fresheners and before people had uh, good hygiene, the the halls where people would eat, they would strew the ground with sweet-smelling herbs, which, when people walked on it, would release those smells and mask the nasty smells. Mm. And then they would haul it all away. And that was sort of a way of cleaning it. There were, um, there were actually strewers, the people who did this, they, were, they had a royal title, which lasted well up until, oh, about 100 years ago was the last royal strewer. Hmm. In England. Fun job. Sort of like a flower girl at a wedding, right? <laughs> Very much, yeah. Oh, I like that. Uh, um, it, you, and you said that some of the, um, in your book, you, you mentioned that, which surprised me, some of the herbs that were less common, and you listed lavender as an herb that was less common. And that's funny because I think lavender has had kind of a renaissance in um, culinary uses. As of late. Oh, yeah. Last few years, it's, it's showing up all over the place. Everything from ice cream to cookies and breads. Oh, nice. teas, teas, all sorts of things, yeah. Yeah, I think teas are, uh, teas, again, uh, enjoying a, a, a comeback, a lot of the herbal teas, certainly. Yeah, that's another thing. Technically, the herbal teas are not teas. <laughs> They're tisanes or infusions. Mm-hmm. Tea really is only... You know, true tea plant, which is a camellia. Oh, and the other less common herbs that you um, mentioned I wanted to 
to uh, talk about a little bit were one that caught my attention was Whorehound, and you have a beautiful picture, and the book is, is just, is, is strewn, and we're talking about Stuart, your book is filled with beautiful um, photographs and, and reproductions of woodcuts. I just wanted to let our well, listeners know that. It's, yeah. well, um, thank you. I, I took most of the photographs. Oh, really? That's wonderful. Yeah. And so you had, did you go to botanical gardens? Do you grow most of these? What? I, I grew some. I went to lots of botanical gardens. Um, I go to... Um, Garden shops, um, all sorts of places. Mm. Well, now you live uh, a little further upstate in New York, so I would imagine you've got uh, a, a pretty good herb garden yourself. Well, when I started working on the first herb book, I did make a, a large herb garden. Where I live now, I only have room for just a couple. Uh huh. You know, it's interesting that even city dwellers today are are taking up gardeners, much like Pliny described back in the first century, that they, they're living in the city and yet they're, they're planting herbs, planting vegetables, keeping bees, when we want to, and that's, that's another yeah. thing, and chickens. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a whole, um, everything that goes around comes around. So they're growing a lot of herbs, even in the city, and a lot of vegetables. Uh, oh, I, I mentioned whorehound, and you took a picture of whorehound. And, uh, whorehound I just remember a friend of mine who would always bring back, she'd go to visit her aunt in, in New Orleans, and she would bring back candy. And she said, oh, and I brought back whorehound candy. You mentioned the same thing in your book about the whorehound being used for candy. Uh, that's Craig Claiborne, I just did a show about Craig Claiborne last week. He mentioned that he wrote about it. Huh? He hated it. Yeah, You know, I never liked it either. <laughs> I, was, oh, oh, I, I, I started getting uh, whorehound uh, cough drops. When I was in high school. Now that and I can understand. I, right. like, I always liked them. Hmm. So, can you describe the flavor? Oh, it's kind of musky. Hmm. It's a, the closest thing I can think of. Yeah. So not minty and not not earthy, no, but yeah. It's, it's musky. It's slightly sour. Um, but I can understand why people wouldn't like it. Just like I can understand why people don't like cilantro, even though I do. Mm-hmm. That seems to be an acquired taste for many. And, and well, and cilantro is an interesting. That's an interesting herb to talk about, or interesting herb and spice to talk about, um, because yeah. it's it's surprising in its history and, and uses. Can you talk about let's talk about cilantro a little bit? Sure. <clears throat> well, in Europe, we always grew um, in our gardens. Um, uh, coriander, but we, which is cilantro, but we grew it for the seeds. It wasn't until, um, oh, the last couple of decades that cilantro became popular as an herb in the West. Um, whereas, for instance, in Thailand, they had different names for the leaves, the stems, and the roots, which are all considered separate ingredients. And today we use... we. We use it all, right? We use the, the leaves, we use yeah. the roots, we use the seeds. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, and in, yeah. interesting um, that a lot of the herbs that we're using today come to us from, uh, I mean, we've, we're used to having them come from, you know, Europe and, and uh, uh, different warmer locations. But now we have a lot of Asian and Southeast Asian herbs that we use in our cooking. And, of course, due to... Uh, you you call it the herbal melting pot, and that comes about. Well, tell us a little bit why you know why you call it the herbal melting pot. Well, um, people keep 
talking about fusion foods, but in reality, all foods are fusion foods because every time anyone runs into anyone from anywhere, they adapt their dishes to new ingredients, new circumstances, and as um, as the world has opened up in, in recent years to because of better transportation, better communication, um, we're just absorbing foods from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And, of course, war plays a big part of that, too, um, and oh, al- yeah. always has. You know, culture and war, I mean, that's our cultures uh, shift and absorb other cultures. Uh, when we, so many people go, well, travel now, too. I mean, there's there's all this, you know, you can hop on a plane and get someplace that, that is more developed than, you know, think even back not that long ago, even 40, 50 years ago, was not that accessible. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Interesting, when you mention the wars, um, about the only positive thing that ever comes out of wars is that mixing of foods. Mm. That's true, <laughs> unfortunately. Think, yeah. But when you think, um, you know, Americans, you know, think of pizza as like a basic, basic food now. Um, before World War II, it was very rare in this country. Mm-hmm. But when Salt came back, who'd been in Italy, um, they brought back the taste for it, and it spread like crazy. Mm-hmm. The same thing that happened after the Vietnam War. Um, a lot of the Vietnam, Vietnamese uh, immigrated into the country and opened up restaurants. Um, now you can get Vietnamese food everywhere. That's right. That's right. Interesting. And, and we, and we want to know, then, of course, being curious cooks, want to know how to recreate that in our own home kitchens. And then we learn right. about the herbs, right? That's great. Uh, I know that herbs also have a lot of symbolic meaning. And when we come back, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the symbolic meaning of herbs. Great. Oh, are you going to Whittingham Fair? Oh, parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. Remember me to one who lives there For once she was a true lover of mine Tell her to make me a cambric shirt Whole Foods Market is a proud sponsor of Transforming Cities in partnership with BioCities and the Harvard University Graduate School of Design on May 2nd. Buy tickets and learn from multiple stakeholders on how food systems shape cities. Visit biocities.org for more information. Oh, parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme, where never spring water nor rain ever fell, and she shall be a true lover of mine. Tell her to dry it on yon... Ah, yes, well, most of us know that as Scarborough Fair, but it actually is an old Scottish uh, canticle from the 1600s. And uh, and that's what we heard playing during the break. Parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. We were I mentioned we would talk about symbolic meaning of herbs, and I'm talking with Gary Allen. Um, parsley, sage, and rosemary and thyme, they all have very powerful meanings. Um, but other herbs have a lot of symbolic meaning as well. Can, is, are, is there anything you can tell us about some of the interesting ones or different or ones we might not know about? Oh, I, I know. Um, I pulled that one on you without, without warning. <laughs> well, I'd like to start to talk about, a little bit about rosemary itself, because okay. that's a really good example. Yeah. Rosemary is always associated with memory, um, and part of the reason for that is because its scent lingers so well. But a really fascinating thing happened. Um, many years ago, an archaeologist working in, um, in 
Italy found a bunch of rosemary growing in strangely regular lines out in the middle of nowhere. And they started digging down and digging down, and about 12 feet down, he found the ruins of a house. And the rosemary had been planted just outside the kitchen door. As the soil level went up over the centuries, the rosemary kept growing with it. (laughs) So it literally had a memory of ancient Rome. Right. That's, I mean, that, that is, that's so true. I mean, I just love walking by a rosemary um, plant or bush. <laughs> Hopefully it gets to be a bush eventually in our neck of the woods. It's not easy. And it, it even, it's on my clothes. It's on my hands. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. They say it's supposedly it also represents fidelity and love, but you know, remembrance is, is truly one of the strong symbols. Um, yeah. And some of the shapes of of herbs, or I guess that would probably be more roots and spices. I'm thinking of the mandrake or uh, ginger, looking like human forms, right? Yeah, this, this is a, um, a notion that's called the doctrine of signatures, where it was believed that the shape of things, the appearance of things, were related to their function as medicines. So... Um, hepatica, which has leaves that look like a, like livers, are supposed to be good for the liver. Um, mandrake, which was um, the roots of which I should say, um, was used for practically everything, whether you know it, whether it had any real medicinal purpose or not. It's all belief. <laughs> yeah, as I said, a little hocus pocus in there too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. People would believe a lot of things, um, but then again, if they're eating herbs and they're cooking, you know, fresh foods, they're they're doing home cooking. So, you know, if they feel better from eating the herbs, they're eat, they're they're feeling better from eating home cooked fresh foods. I would imagine as well. Oh yes, but yeah. well, we should never rule out the power of placebos. Right, absolutely. Uh, we, you know, it's interesting because the the symbolic meanings of um, of the different herbs found themselves into folk songs, such as that canticle we heard at the break, Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Thyme, which Simon and Garfunkel made so famous um, mm-hmm. in the Scarborough Fair. Uh, they, I mean, I guess they people believed that, that talking about and singing about um, herbs would, would bring them also, again, good feelings and good luck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's all kinds of luck attached to it. In Mexico... They grow several different varieties of basil, one of which they plant around their house. It's only the one particular species. They plant around their house to keep away evil spirits. And they will eat all kinds of basil, but they will never eat that because supposedly it's trapped all the evilness. I like that. I think that's that's very good. Uh, You, in your prior book, The Herbalist in the Kitchen, you wrote something that was I felt very profound and and quite lovely, and I'm going to read it to you because you don't have that passage circled because I didn't let you know I was going to mention it. Um, but if you will allow me, I'm going to just read this brief passage. And you write, Everything we know, or think we know, affects our perceptions of food. When we taste the rosemary, sage, and thyme in the stuffing of a thir- Thanksgiving turkey, We do not taste the sum of the ingredients alone. We taste all the collateral cultural associations as well. An ancient remembrance, pleasurable or not, can be relived through a single taste. I thought that was fantastic. Um, 
I, I hope you remember writing that because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> indeed, indeed, it's it's true. I mean, um, we say smells and tastes bring up so many memories, and people ask, "Well, what are you, what's your first food memory?" Oh, that's that's got to be a big one. Yeah, I know mine. Okay. Um, I was in the hospital when I was about uh, three years old to get my tonsils out. And while I was there, I looked down at the floor, and I could see these black and white tiles. And when I saw them, I remembered a time when I'd been in the hospital earlier, when I was about a year and a half old. Hmm. And I looked down at those tiles and saw a green lightsaber laying on the floor. And I could intensely imagine the taste of that lime green thing. And that mem- my earliest memory is a food memory. <laughs> Wow, that's that's pretty that's pretty profound right there. That's really that's pretty good. Um, you know, so many people are, um, as I say, growing their own herb gardens, and perhaps they have uh, singular uses for you know, like okay, tomato salad. They'll put basil in it, uh, pizza, some oregano. And uh, do you have any interesting ideas or recipes for a combination of lots of herbs together, or like just like an Herb salad, perhaps, or what have you? What what about something that you might a good use for an abundance of herbs? Ah, well, I was just thinking about this this week. Um, we're getting to the time when basil is going to be coming into its own in large quantities, and there's just so much pesto you can eat. Yeah. However, you can make um, um, basil on things like strawberries. It's mm. really delicious. Um, you can also, um, I had a bunch of basil yesterday with leftover, so what I did is I, um, I just put it in a blender with olive oil, ground it up, put it in a jar for a couple of days, and then strain it off through coffee filter, and you get this wonderful basil oil, which is much better than butter on corn on the cob. Ooh, I would imagine so. Or but use that, that as a, in your salad dressing, too. That would be great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, oh. yeah, just. Two drops of that uh, basil oil—you know—you can use it throughout the year. It's fantastic. That's fantastic. That is. That's great. That's good to know. Well, Gary, it was a pleasure to hear about um, herbs and and some of our other our deeper questions. I will um, I will be careful when I pull the weeds and and if I. <laughs> And I will go to your book, and I will actually, you have a lot of pictures of the herbs. Um, in the herbalist in the kitchen, it's an encyclopedia of herbs. So that, I, you know, that, that's right. a great reference to go to for anything that someone has a question about. But in the global history of herbs, we, it's, it's really an education on, uh, on culinary history. And I, and I thank you for doing the work on that because that, oh, that has taught me a lot. And... Uh, I just want to remind people. So that was Gary Allen, and the name of the book is Herbs, A Global History. Thank you, Gary. And I want to remind all our listeners that Heritage Radio Network is now a 501c3, and you can help keep us on the air by going to the homepage and clicking on the Donate button. Gifts, large and small, are all accepted, and you can become a member. There's all kinds of benefits if you become a member to the station. So I just want to remind everyone to please visit the homepage at heritageradionetwork.org and check out our Donate button. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, and this has been A Taste of the Past.
Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.